0: Health Voice, Episode 43, Maternal Health. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. How does racial bias impact pregnancy and childbirth for African American women? Kenda Suttonell, co executive director at Birth in Color RVA, joined me to discuss health inequities in maternal health. So, hello, Kenda. Welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Beth, for having
0: me. So, I was looking on your website and you're listed as a birth justice and maternal health advocate. How did you get interested
1: in maternal health issues? So, Medical field runs into into my whole family background. So I've always been interested in certain things. Um, I used to want to be a pediatrician, but the length of school, I was just like, oh, I don't want to spend that much time. Um, (laughs) And I think and then I was like, okay, I think I want to do business. So I went into the business role. But, you know, you can't outrun your fate and what you're actually supposed to do. So then it came back full circle. Um, And then the alarming rates for a black women dying during childbirth is extremely high. So that allowed me to like full flooded, pursue that issue and raise awareness to it.
0: Right. Now there are terms that we tend to use interchangeably when they really aren't. Can you tell me like what's the difference between a doula as opposed to a birth worker or a midwife or all of those other terms?
1: So a doula and a birth worker are essentially the same. Some people don't like to use the the term doula simply because in Greek it means a slave. Ah. So that's why you'll see a lot of people changing and trying to gear t- more towards birth worker. But it's kind of hard when people don't understand what a birth worker really is. Um, the difference between a, a birth worker and a midwife is essentially the doula birth worker provides the support to the parents so they're there from the from point a to to finish and after you've already had your baby so we're providing that support whether it's mentally spiritually Whatever type of support they need, we're there. Um, depending on what type of birth they want, natural epidural, we're giving them guidance and providing them with research um, to make it a lot smoother and making sure that they know that they have rights. The midwife is the person who actually helps to finish the birth process. So they're the ones that essentially catch your baby or tells the the partner how to catch the baby, because a lot of people don't understand that they can catch their own baby um, because it's their right. So we always try to advocate and make sure that people know, as a birth worker, that people know that they have rights that they don't even think about.
0: Sure. If they've got the opportunity to do that and that's something that they want to do, they should be able to know that's available to them. Right. Right. So on on a midwife, are there different levels of training? I know another term that's out there is is certified midwife. Is that like a, a separate category?
1: So essentially, they are one of the same. So you have a certified professional midwife, and then you have a certified nurse midwife. The certified professional midwife is the the midwife that works out of hospital. So they typically do the home births or birth centers. A certified nurse midwife is typically inside of the hospital working under a provider, um, which is an OB provider. So yeah. those are the differences. The differences are as far as like schooling and all of that type of stuff go into play as well.
0: Sure. So you talked a little bit about, you know, making sure that people know, for example, if they can catch their baby and other rights related to the birthing process. Um, and I know on your website, it says that you're providing pregnant mothers Services to ensure a safe delivery and make better decisions for their children. So I, I would think that would be one thing. Information on you know that process. What other types of services do you make available?
1: So we make available nutrition. We make available um, breastfeeding. Um, We always like to provide breastfeeding education, childbirth education, making sure ensuring that parents know how to properly care for themselves and their child and how to properly um, breastfeed as well. Um, There's a lot of stigma around breastfeeding and how it's like super, super easy, and that is not the case. So we like to make sure that they have that information on how to do it successfully and that they do have people that are cheering them on throughout the process because it does get a little difficult.
0: So let's talk about those cheerleaders. Do you involve fathers or other family members in the process?
1: Yes. So typically we, as a birth worker, we've met the father. We work directly with the father as well, making sure that he's prepared, making sure that he feels like it's a part of his, he's a part of the process because essentially this is his birth as well. So we like to make sure that he's always included and that actually makes a difference in the bonding process between the father and and the child. And then we also pro, um, provide extra support, um, making sure that the family knows that the needs of the of the mother, and like what they should be doing, and how to you know. We would always like to tell parents and families, you know, we we know birth baby showers are great, postpartum showers are even better.
0: Sure, let's have that baby there.
1: Right. And let's provide that support to the mom, make sure that she's eating like she's supposed to, especially if she's breastfeeding. She has to remember to eat.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the other things I saw was racial bias training. What what types of people benefit from that training?
1: So I would say everyone can benefit from that training, but specifically providers. Um, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of different biases, um, depending on the way you grew up. A bias could be something biased to me, but you don't think that it's biased. So making sure that everyone knows and and knows how to navigate those situations. And also Mm -hmm. teaching trust building, because if that client doesn't trust you, she's not going to tell you her background. And which her background is going to be key essential to making sure the outcome of the birth is great.
0: So can you give me an example of, of a typical bias that you run across and how you would address that with a, a healthcare provider or, or somebody else involved in the process?
1: So a typical bias is, say, for instance, I have Medicaid um, or I have a or if I pay my copay with cash, I've had instances where um, medical staff at the at the office who's doing intake has like looked down or laughed at a client. And when clients tell me this I always backtrack and go around And I usually record If they kind of tell me like Okay, it was this person And I I went and paid cash um, for a copay And they are like Oh, she doesn't even have a credit card See, this is what we're talking about And, you know, a lot of r- racial things Come into play That should not be happening Or say, for instance I'm over The doctor tends to think that I'm overweight But I work out all the time him thinking him or her thinking that i'm overweight and not asking me do i work out what's my um routine can be a barrier because i could have an issue that has nothing to do with me being overweight like a blood clotting issue
0: right so it'd be easier to overlook some other underlying health condition and not address it just because of the assumption that's being made right so with the racial bias training, what, what does that involve? How do you address those biases?
1: So I address the biases through case studies, um, through a, a PowerPoint. Um, and I always like to have that one-on-one time with the whole group to where we're actually having an open open discussion. And then I, pro- I provide an assessment before and after the training so that they can see where they were and where they are now. There's been times that people have told me that they feel like all Black people have underlying conditions, and that is not true. And for a provider to still think that in 2020, that's an issue.
0: Absolutely. And along those lines, you know, one of the terms that gets used is culturally competent care. What, what is culturally competent care in terms of pregnancy and childbirth? And, and why do you think that's important?
1: So cultural competency care is everyone has their own cultural aspects that they, that they go by. So if I have cultural customs that I want to be a part of my birth, I don't want you to look down on my customs because your culture is different from mine.
0: So what's an example of a custom that might be typical?
1: So like sometimes you have where the circumcision. Mm -hmm. Babies get circumcised in some cultures eight days after birth. Whereas some providers were like, well, no, we need to get this over with while he's in the hospital. Right. So that's a, that's an aspect. Yeah.
0: Making sure that we're sensitive. So in something like that, does it, you know how much does it really matter whether or not that the physician honors that request?
1: It, it matters a, a lot, especially if that's my culture. So if that's my culture and you're telling me that you don't want to honor it and you know this and uh, this is what we tell the clients. If you know that you've already discussed this with your with your OB um, provider and they don't want to honor it, it is your right to get a different provider.
0: And if they're not honoring that, what else are they ignoring, I think would be my underlying question of if they're not even willing to concede this point, are there other things I need to worry about?
1: Exactly. And I know, like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the whole placenta encapsulation or the lotus bursts and stuff like that. Some cultures want to take their placentas with them, and that is their right to take their placenta with them.
0: Ah, and I can see where many hospitals, especially with the the uh, focus on you know bodily fluids and things like that, making sure it's getting disposed of what they consider to be properly, and not being willing to do that for the family.
1: Right, and then you have some hospitals who sell the placentas. So, if you ever look at like some of the lotion bottles or um, cosmetics, and you look at the the ingredients, majority of the time there's some por- portion of the placenta that's in it.
0: Yeah, very interesting. So, looking at your services and w- what you do, is this only something that's available in Richmond, or can you serve rural parts of the state?
1: We serve rural parts of the state, and then there's also other um, organizations that serve royal parts of the state as well. So if a hospital
0: clinic wanted to provide training for their staff uh, but was concerned about hosting in-person events because of COVID, is this something that you can do online?
1: Yes, this is something that um, I have been doing virtually as well since, since the pandemic, and a lot of them will just reach out to me, we will set a date and set up a link, and everyone can access it.
0: Yeah, so so very necessary to be flexible right now with everything going on.
1: Right. And and you want to make sure that everyone is still practicing the, the guidelines, the safety guidelines that are in place. Yeah.
0: Now, something that we have going on is the Rural Health Voice Conference is coming up in November, and one of our speakers will be discussing racism as a public health crisis. How do you see that manifesting in maternal health?
1: I would have to agree with them on that. Um. Sometimes we've had providers that will ignore a, a black woman because they're like, "Oh, this is normal. you that's normal pain," or they feel like a black woman is the stigma is that, that black women are really really strong, so that we can take more pain than other nationalities and ethnicities.
0: And you know, something we've addressed in this conversation or in this podcast before is that you know the the barriers for maternal health aren't limited. To African Americans that are in poverty, it's it's across the spectrum that, that we see these issues manifesting.
1: Yes, everyone tends to think that it is because of the low income or they don't have access to prenatal care. However, some instances that is true, but that's not for everyone. The the rate actually involves wealthy women, wealthy black women as well, whether you're college educated, whether you're not. Um, and, and that's and that's a real issue. Um, I'm not sure if you were familiar with like Serena Williams' story or Beyonce's story or Kira Johnson. Um, these are wealthy women who've experienced almost death during their their pregnancies. Kira Johnson actually did die during pregnancy.
0: and and what a tragedy to to have something that you know could have probably been easily addressed, dismissed because of those biases. Right. So, you know, looking at what you've done in terms of of birth justice, maternal health, if someone is interested in reproductive health as a career, what what advice would you give that person? What what steps could they take to move towards that goal?
1: I would give them to make sure they study all of the sciences. Um, science is really what drives um, my motivation is being able to look at certain instances, certain things that does not need to be done. But also the most important key is, is taking science and pairing it with a, a natural holistic care um, because that holistic point of care can really save women's lives
0: making sure we're taking the entire environment for, for, of her into account.
1: Right. And don't ever be afraid to s- s- pull a coworker aside and say that it's not right. We need to provide this woman with the the correct care. A lot of nurses are saying they used to nurses used to say, okay, well we want to become doulas. Or birth workers. And now they're like, you know what, it's unjust for us to become birth workers or doulas because I've worked with a a provider for this amount of years and we're not going to call them out on stuff that they do. Uh Because if we do, it's going to cause even more harm during the process.
0: Sure, sure. So last question, this is something that I ask all my guests. If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America?
1: I would actually change the entire healthcare system. The healthcare system was developed by mainly men, and you can't tell a woman more about her body than women can tell about our own bodies. So I would build up the uh, entire new healthcare system. Terrific. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Kenda. And thank you so much for having me, Beth.
0: That's Kenda sutton L. advocating for a revival of our health care system. If you want to hear more about this issue in our rural communities, join the Rural Health Voice Conference. Speaker Kevin Harris will be providing a presentation on racism as a public health crisis. Visit the show notes for details. Until then, make sure you get your flu shot.
1: This year's been unreal. Now school for kids is laptops in the living room.
0: Coronavirus turned everything upside down. But we still have to remember important stuff like getting flu shots. Why's that? In uncertain times, getting a flu shot is something we can control. It's one less health worry for our family.
1: You're right. I read the flu causes thousands of deaths and millions of doctor visits each year.
0: All right, then. We're getting family flu shots and we'll tell our friends they should too. Flu shots are more important than ever this year.
1: This ad sponsored by the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association.